lots of money, I move into the country away from people. In the 1800s, Europeans came to Canada with the promise that they would have 160 free acres of land. And so who could resist a promise like that? And so we had all kinds of people come from all over Europe, from, from the British Isles, right up to the Ukraine, to Russia, uh, even people from China. People were coming to take advantage of this great promise. And so what happened is uh, in the midst of this tract of 160 acres, these uh, homesteaders, can we change that? Yeah, can we change that slide? Is it working? Here we go. The homesteaders uh, would build their, their sod hut. And um, a lot of them were brand new farmers. They never farmed before. It was all new to them. They were sort of learning as they went. And so what they would do in the middle of their 160 acres is they'd build their sod, sod hut right dead center of that 160 acres. And so what happened over time is, uh, is that, is that there was a phenomenon called prairie madness or prairie fever. And has anybody heard of that? Well, this uh, prairie madness would affect people because here they are, all alone in the middle of nowhere, with absolutely zero social interaction. And what happened is that uh, because of these extreme levels of isolation, these people would become depressed. Uh, there's all sorts of symptoms of this prairie fever, prairie madness. Uh, they would become, uh, in some cases, very violent. Uh, some cases they would uh, be, uh, their, their, chair, their, their character would change and they would develop new habits. And in some severe cases, extreme cases, they would even commit suicide. So it was very, uh, very, very serious. And so what happened is that these, uh, these settlers started getting smart. And so what would happen is that they would talk to their nearest neighbors and they'd say, well, so this is your plot of land, this is my plot of land, and that's, that's his plot of land. Look, at, why don't we move our homes to the corners of our property so that we can be near each other? And so you'll see this even now. If you go into the country and you're going down a country road, you'll see maybe two or three and sometimes even four homes right on the corner of that intersection. What happened is that these settlers got smart and they thought, well, rather than being all alone in the very middle of all my property, it's better to be near my neighbors. Now, here's the thing. This shouldn't surprise you, and especially if you go to this church, because you hear me say all the time that life is about relationships. In fact, God said about Adam, it's not good for man to be alone. Well, when we talk about man, in this case, we're talking about humanity. It's not good for humanity to be alone. In my grade seven uh, social studies class, they actually taught us that, that this is, in fact, how societies began, how communities were formed, how towns and villages and hamlets were formed. People wanted to come together because they simply could not stand the isolation. They could not stand to be alone. Now, when God created Adam and Eve, they were in fellowship with him. And uh, as you know, you know the story. It wasn't long before uh, Adam and Eve sinned, and they set in motion a pattern of love and hate, love and hate, love and hate. You, you, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, you, you'll, you'll hear men say sometimes about their wives, can't live with her and 
Oh, you, oh, you guys, you should, you should act like, what, what are you talking about, Pastor? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> yeah, you, you've heard, I can't live with her, can't live without her. Well, I, and I, I'm sure that women have their sayings too about us. But here's the thing. When Cain, by, by the time you get to chapter four, because chapter three, the wheels come off. It's Adam and Eve have sinned against God. They've even sinned against each other. They're blaming each other. And, and there's a real anger and a hatred that's set in. And, and then by chapter four, this is like the chapter four, Adam and Eve's first kids, they, they, they have a fight. And Cain, you know the story, Cain kills his brother Abel. Wow. Terrible. Now, the interesting thing is this. God does not kill Cain, but God gives Cain a punishment. And here's his punishment. Cain, you will be a fugitive and a wanderer for the rest of your life. And this is almost more than Cain can bear. Because what God is saying to Cain is, Cain, you, you have forfeited your right, the privilege of being in fellowship with your family. You are now going to be on your own. That is your punishment. And for Cain, that was worse than death. The fact that he would have to live in this world all alone. So Cain lost the only thing that really mattered. He lost fellowship. Now, in five weeks' time, we're celebrating Easter. And in the weeks leading up to Easter, we're going to actually talk about about what love really is. And we're going to talk about how to love. And, you know, once in a while, you'll hear, you know, some real philosophical people say, you know, really, when it comes right down to it, all that matters is love, right? And, okay, yeah, that's right. The Bible can be summed up in in a word. It's, It's love. The problem is we don't know how to love each other. That's the problem. That person sitting beside you, if you ask them, they'll say, yeah, I love you. But the fact is, is that we don't really know how to love each other. And that's why God had to give us this great big book to teach us how to love one another. Because by nature, we are self-centered. By nature, we don't know how to properly love one another. Now, over the last two weeks, during our whole missions emphasis, I talked to you about God's or Jesus' last command. Jesus' last command was what? Go into all the world and preach the gospel. That's right. We call it the Great Commission. That was his last command. Go make disciples. Teach everybody to obey everything I've taught, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Well, today and and over the next few weeks, I want to talk to you about Jesus' first commandment. So we talked about the last commandment. Now for five weeks, we're talking about the first commandment. And the first commandment is what? Love one another. In fact, Jesus says that, a new commandment I give you, love one another. So why did God create us? And that's really important to understand this. Why were we created? Why does the Bible record this event? And it's, the answer is simple. God created us, Jesus created us for relationship with him. Did you know that? That is what you're here for. This is what you're all about. And the, the framers of the Westminster Confession back in the 1600s, they understood this. Because when you look at the Westminster Confession, it begins with these words. Ready for this? The chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, that's a fantastic description of why we're on this earth and why God created us. We were created 
to glorify God, that is to reflect God. Sometimes you hear the term, we are created in the image of God. What we're saying is that our job is to reflect God on the earth so that people, when they look at us, they'll see God. Hey, by the way, when people look at you, do they see God or do they see something else? When your kids look at you, do they see God or do they see a monster? When your wife looks at you, does she see Jesus or does she see somebody she never wants to ever look at or talk to (laughs) or sleep with? Hello. Our job is to reflect God, to glorify him, and then to enjoy him forever. So we're talking about a personal relationship with God. Now, here's where, where Christianity goes off the rails And we've got many people here from many different Christian traditions. But here's when we begin to have problems. When you forget that the chief reason we are on this planet, the main reason that we're on this planet is to have a relationship with God, well, then it doesn't make sense. It it now becomes just religion. Empty, broken, dead, hopeless religion. So let's get back to this. God created us for relationship. In fact, the whole Bible is a story of how a loving God restores this broken relationship between man and God. In fact, we read in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's what this book is all about. It's the story of how God sent his son, Jesus, to die for us, to reconcile us to himself so that we could enter back into the relationship with God that Adam and Eve had in the Garden of Eden. Are you getting that? This is a wonderful thing about becoming a Christian, is that we, in a sense, get a taste of, of the Garden of Eden before Adam and Eve sinned, before Adam and Eve rejected God by their disobedience. So here's the thing. This loving God sent his son to reconcile us to himself. In fact, Paul, the apostle, some of you know him, he describes or defines his ministry as a ministry of reconciliation. Let me read this to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18b to 21. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to God. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sin against them. Someone say hallelujah. hallelujah. Say it again. Hallelujah. Yeah, we, we have a few Pentecostals here. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Are you getting this this morning? That's what we were created for, for relationship with God. And Jesus came into this world to bring us back to God. And our job as a church is to get the message out to everybody. Hey, you, come back to God. Are you getting that? That's what it's about. And that's what the last two Sunday sermons were about. It's about asking people, telling people, come back to God. Hey, before we can tell people to come to God, we got to make sure we understand that it starts with us. I must first have a relationship with God. I must first know who God is. I must first love God and walk with him. And so Paul says, we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be 
the offering for our sin so that we would be made right with God through Christ. Folks, that's what Easter's all about. That's where we're going. In the next few weeks, we're going to be celebrating Easter, the greatest act of love, the celebration of restoration between God and man. So now we understand. It's clear to us that we were, we were created for relationship with God. We were created to love God, and God wants to love us. Everybody's clear on that? Say it with me. I was created to be loved by God. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Just going to make sure you're awake here this morning. And so God really is a God of love. In fact, the Bible says God, there's a shortest verse, God is love, or one of the shortest verses. So you believe that, right? Everybody's in favor? If, everybody, if you're in favor this morning, say aye. All opposed? I don't care. <laughs> don't hear about that. Okay, so you're all in favor. Well, that's good. I accept Jesus, and I'll get on with my life, and my religion is between me and God, Right? wrong not so fast because that's what a lot of people think i became a christian i'm a christian now it's just that's my business it's between me and god but here's the problem if you actually know begin to know who god is and you begin to understand his will and his commands you discover that god has called us to love him and here's the hard part our neighbor exactly bill to love the person sitting beside you Get that person beside you and just nod. Yeah. yeah you got to love him. You say, Pastor Allen, I had to drive to church with him this morning, and I'm sick of him. <laughs> That's why you come to church, so I can teach you and remind you. you got to keep on loving him. He's driving me nuts, Pastor. He's driving me nuts. Yeah. Just think of how often you have done the same to God. Here's the thing. We're called to love God, and we're called to love one another. And I'm going to tell you right now, folks, you, can't, you cannot say that you love God while you hate the person sitting beside you. In fact, we're going to, we're going to be exploring the whole, the whole uh, epistle of 1 John. Obviously, we can't touch on everything, but we're going to explore the themes in that book. And John teaches us what love really looks like. And the fact of the matter is, you cannot call yourself a Christian. John says, not me. John says this. You cannot call yourself a Christian and hate other people. It's not possible. It's not logically, it's not spiritually possible. So here's what John says in, in the beginning of his letter. John, 1 John 1, verse 3. We proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard, now, just stop there for a moment. Remember, John is, John is an apostle. He has seen the, the acts of Christ. He has heard the preaching of Christ. He has witnessed the life of Christ. And now he, along with the other apostles, are actually testifying. They're proclaiming. They're preaching. They're telling others what they have seen. And so Paul, John says, and the reason we're doing this is so that you may have what? Fellowship. Now, Christianity, the church, is all about fellowship. For some people, they have the notion, all you have to do is come into the church, do my thing, put a few bucks in the offering plate, sing a few songs, and then scram. Hey, John says that he has been sent to preach the gospel 
So that, not just that we had eternal life, but so that we have what? Fellowship. Now, many of us have never thought of it that way. We have been invited into the family of God. That's what fellowship is. We have been invited into communion or into connection with other believers. In a few weeks, we're going to be celebrating communion. And for many of us, we know that communion is what? It's eating the bread and drinking the wine, right? That's what communion is. But you know what the word communion means? It comes from the word commune. It's when the believers are together. They have a common cause, a common purpose, a common Lord, a, com- a common Savior. That's, that's what makes us a family. And so it's impossible for you to call yourself a follower of Jesus Christ and yet hate the family of God. It doesn't make sh- sense, does it? And so John says, we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And so that our fellowship, and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And so you see this beautiful sense of family where we have our Father and his Father is surrounded by his children. That in a nutshell, in a very simple, very simple picture of what the church is, and what relationship with God is really all about. Our faith, folks, is one of fellowship with God and each other. You cannot, you cannot divorce one from the other. A lot of people do. A lot of people treat church like it's a, it's a, it's a, a pit stop for their vehicle. Pop in there, get the oil changed, and take off. That's not what church is. That's a completely wrong understanding of what church is. The church is a family. where You find your place in the family where you love others and are loved by others. I'm going to talk more about that in just a second. But let me say this. The whole ethos of the New Testament is of love and unity. This, this is the, the number one ethic of the New Testament. It's love and unity. We're loving God and we're loving each other. In fact, Jesus in his final prayer in John chapter 17, he says, the whole world will know that you are my disciples by what? Your love for one another. This is what brings glory to God. When on this planet, the whole world sees us loving and interacting with one another. Now, here's here's the wonderful benefit of this. Because here's the thing, folks, you, and everybody knows this. I'm not, I'm, not, uh, I'm not terribly clever about all this. But the fact is, is that everybody on this planet is looking for happiness. Everybody knows that. We're looking for happiness. We're looking for joy. We're looking for a sense of fulfillment. We're looking for a sense of peace. But here's what John says in John 1 verse 4. That's the very next verse. He says, and if you do as I say in this letter... And this is what we're going to be studying now for five weeks. If you do as I say in this letter, then you too will be full of what? Joy. And so will we, John says. I'm going to tell you today, if you want to bring joy back into your marriage, back into your family, back into your relationships, your friendships, then I'm going to tell you that the missing ingredient is love. And you need to make up your mind that regardless of what the others in the relationship are doing, you're going to love them anyway. 
Pastor Ellen, I don't think I can do this. No, you can't. That's why Jesus said, when I leave you, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit who's going to work in you and enable you to live this life. This is why we call it the fruit of the Spirit, which is what? Love. Well, all the rest of the things in that list, they are all the outworkings of love. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's all love. You can't, you can't do this in your own, but I'm going to tell you this. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you've learned how to submit to him, then you are going to learn what it means to submit to the Holy Spirit, and you're going to let love flow out of you. And by the way, it's the Holy Spirit working in you. you know, some, of this, some of us have this strange idea that it's me. I've got to work this up. I gotta, somehow I've got to do this. And the thing is this, folks, is that you don't do it in your own strength. So that father or that mother, or that husband, or that sister, that brother, that's a real difficult person to love, I'm going to tell you right now, you can love them in the power of the Holy Spirit. Someone say amen. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. So John is saying that the, the key or the way to joy is to love the people in your life, all of them. I'm going to just say this about 1 John. If you're speaking per, per chapter, I'm going to tell you that no book in the whole Bible speaks of love as much as 1 John does. In fact, 1 John is, is, uh, accounts for 10% of the uses of the word love in the whole Bible, in the whole Bible. So we're talking about a powerful little book. And so I'm going to ask everybody, not right now, but later, if you would just go home and read that, that letter. It's a simple letter. And we believe that the author of the Gospel of John is the same one who authored those three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. 1st John is, is a a letter about what it means to truly love and what it really means to be a Christian. So John is saying, I'm going to teach you folks how to have joy in your life. And the way that you're going to have joy in your life is by loving the people in your life. By loving, yes, even your husband, even your, even your children, you're going to love them. So let's talk about that, the joy of loving other people. Uh, Jessica Olean says that we desperately need each other, and here's what she says, quote, loneliness is not just making us sick, it is killing us. Loneliness is a very serious health risk. Did you get that? Loneliness, being alone, being secluded, cutting yourself off from other people, being isolated, Having prairie fever, prairie madness, is a very serious health risk. She goes on to say this. Studies of social, social isolation concluded that those without adequate social interaction were twice as likely to die prematurely. Did you hear that? I thought, this is crazy. So I actually went and did some research myself to check out some of her uh, sources that she cited. And yeah, that's what these... That's what these Studies are saying. And it goes on to, she goes on to say this. The increased mortality risk is comparable to that from smoking. Being alone, being lonely, cutting yourself off from other people is as dangerous as smoking. And in fact, she says loneliness is about two times as dangerous as obesity because it impairs immune function and boosts inflammation. And if anybody is 
live for any any length of time or has any illnesses, you know that uh, impaired immune function and a boost in inflammation will cause arthritis and type 2 diabetes and heart disease. The study says, listen to this, there's a 50% increased likelihood of survival for participants with stronger social relationships. Isn't that amazing? Now, I'd like to see more studies on that, but I'm going to tell you it rings true for me. What they're saying is that you've got a 50% chance, uh, better chance to survive your illnesses, your diseases, to get well, to get better, if you have strong relationships. So it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it shouldn't surprise us when John says, if you do the things that I'm telling you to do in this letter, you are going to be joyful. You are going to be happy. The problem with so many of us is we, we get upset, we get angry, we get bitter, and then the first thing we want to do is we want to cut ourselves off or we want to cut off from, from ourselves those people in our lives that are causing us real heartache and pain. I'm going to tell you this, folks, this morning. Joy, real joy, fills our heart when we're in a right relationship with God and in a right relationship with our spouse, with our children, and the others in our lives. The problem with so many of us is that our sinful nature says, I don't need anyone, right? I don't need anyone. I don't need him. He's just been such a pain in my neck. I don't need her. I don't need... My kids, if they don't love me, I'm cutting them off. They're out of my will. My grandma, she used to, used to threaten us with that all the time. <laughs> she going to cut us out of her will if we didn't do exactly what she wanted us to do. And we laugh about it now, but I'll tell you, it was, like, it was pretty shocking, first of all, to think that, that there's a price tag attached to her love for us. And yet there's all kinds of people that function that way. Though they may not be vocal about it, or might not be quite so obvious about it, but essentially that's what they're saying. If you don't do exactly what I tell you to do, and if you don't perform exactly the way I want you to perform, I'm cutting you off. No more love for me. And this goes completely against what it means to be a Christian. If you want your joy to be full, you are called to love others. You are called to make the effort to reach out and care for other people. But some of you are saying, Pastor Alan, I don't, really, I don't really need anyone, and I don't really want to be around people. I'd rather just to be on my own. Well, if you're that kind of a person that'd rather just be alone and not be around other believers, you are going to completely hate heaven. Because here's what it says is going to happen in heaven, Revelation 7, 9. And after this, I saw a vast crowd too great to count. <laughs> from every nation and tribe and people and language standing in front of the throne and before the Lamb. And they were clothed in white robes and held palm branches in their hands. That's heaven. It's a gathering of God's people. And we'll be before the throne of our God, before the Lord Jesus Christ, and we'll be worshiping him. That's heaven. Now, here's the thing, folks. A lot of people don't realize this. But when you become a Christian, heaven begins immediately. You have a foretaste of heaven right here and right now. And I'm going to surprise some of you, and some of you already know this from past messages of mine, but when you come to church on Sunday morning, what's happening is you are coming and experiencing a taste of heaven. Did you know that? This, this is a Garden of Eden. Did you know that? This is a place where we meet together with God as brothers and sisters in Christ. 
It is a place where you should feel the joy of the Lord. This is a place where you need to allow the joy of the Lord to fill your soul, your heart, your strength in fellowship and communion with other believers. Now, sometimes we just don't like the people we're stuck with. I'm not looking at anybody. I know almost everybody's story in our church. And, uh, and some of you know me. Sometimes we just don't like the people we're stuck with. And yet, and yet, God knows who we need to have in our lives to change us. God allows you to go through what you're going through because God knows that you need those people in your life to change you, to make you more like Jesus, to transform you. This is really the power of the church because it's in the context of the church, in the context of fellowship with other believers, that God begins to transform us. But here's what we do in our sinful nature. We try to run from those that annoy us. Isn't that right? And so we see fathers running away from their families. Sometimes it's mothers who run away from their children. We see children running away from their parents, refusing to speak to their siblings. We see husbands leaving their wives or wives leaving their husbands. We see people leaving their church. We see people ignoring or running away from friendships. Hey, folks, listen to me. All of this is what we call violence. Did you get that? The minute you break relationships, the minute you run away, this is a violent act. This is why the Bible says God hates divorce. Did you get that? Why? Because it's violent. The breaking down of a relationship. This is why God says to fathers in Ephesians, don't frustrate your children. Don't exasperate your children. This is why the Bible says, children, obey and honor your mother and your father. Look at these. All the things that we, that, that we find difficult are the things that God commands of us. Don't divorce. Fathers, don't frustrate or exasperate your children. You're not a dictator. Fathers, stop acting like Hitler. It doesn't say that specifically. Mothers, don't, don't exasperate your children. Husbands and wives, Submit to each other. Some men have this idea, my wife is supposed to submit to me. Yeah, well, you better read the whole Bible because it says that husbands are also supposed to submit to their wives. Hello? This is what the Bible says. It, why do we need the Bible? Because it teaches us how to love one another in a way that is according to God's will. Friends, love one another. Friends lay down their lives for one another. Friends who truly love one another prove that they are Christ's disciples. In fact, you know, want to know something? That early believers, they referred to each other as brethren, as brother and sister. I remember the early days of the Pentecostal movement. My grandparents would refer to the pastor as, as brother Pierce and sister this one and brother that one and sister and brother. We were all brothers and sisters. But we got too clever, and we thought, and we don't need to use those phrases anymore. And then suddenly we forgot that we are brothers and sisters in Christ, and we are called to love one another and to respect each other and to do everything in our power to maintain a right relationship with one another. Why? Because this is what honors God. 
This is what pleases the Lord. This is what it means to be a Christian. You know, when I... uh, Really, folks, this is why this is why we ask you to get into a small group because we know that this is what's going to bring joy to your life. This is what will make your joy full in your life. This is why we tell you to be in church every Sunday. Don't miss because this is how God develops you. This is how you change and how you grow. This is how you become spiritually healthy. When I went to Charleswood Temple as a young man at a Bible school, I made up my mind that this was going to be my church and it's going to be my church family. I came from Calvary Temple, big church, lots of friends, lots of family there. But I knew that if God was going to really use me in the context of that church, if I was going to really be an effective pastor, what I needed to do is I needed to leave everybody and everything behind and now focus on Charleswood Temple. This needed to be my church, my new church family. And I still remember the first kids who were in my youth group. Doug Dimmler, Greg Dimmler, Gloria Housen, who's now Duncalf, <laughs> Gloria Duncalf, and Rachel Housen, and Shelly Logan. That was it. That was my youth group, five kids. And I decided I was going to start pouring my life into these kids, and they were going to be my best friends. And by the way, Gloria and I did not hook up while I was a pastor there, just in case any of you are wondering. <laughs> it wasn't until years later. But I embraced all those whom God brought to me. And by the way, some of the people that God brought to me now, God has brought them to me. I, God brought me to them, now God has brought some of them to me. And Gloria, of course, is the, is the first and best example. But some of you know Dennis and, and Doris Weeb. They were some of the very first people that I knew in the ministry. And now, isn't it wonderful that that relationship that God formed back then now is, is come to fruition? Now they're working alongside of me, and together we are doing God's work. That's the power of loving one another. Not because you feel like it, but because God commanded it. You say, Pastor Allen, are you sure? Does that mean I've got to love everybody? Well, look at this. Don't you just love it when I bring out the verses and just hit you over the head with them? Jesus says, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Remember, the, the last commandment was go make disciples. The first commandment is this, love each other. Say it with me, love each other. Jesus says, just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world, what? You are my disciples. You cannot call yourself a disciple of Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ, if you have not made up your mind that you are gonna love all the people in your life No matter what. Say with me. No matter what. You're going to love them. You're going to care for them. You're going to invest in them. Hey, I've seen some rocky relationships over the years, all kinds, kids with their parents, parents with their husbands, whatever. And I never, ever say, hey, you know what? You've put up with enough garbage. It's time to split. No, because I know this, that the pain and the suffering that comes from splitting is far worse than the pain and suffering you may be experiencing right now. Let the Spirit of God speak to you right now. I consider all my relationships sacred. Every single relationship I have with every single person in this church to me is sacred. I will love you, I will care for you, I will die for you. I feel the same way about my family, about my wife, my children, my extended family. 
It's sacred, folks, because Jesus Christ is the one who has established this. I'd like you to stand with me, please, as we pray. For some of us here today, it's time to forgive. Time to forgive. You say, Pastor, you don't know how many times I've forgiven. How many times did Jesus say to forgive? Yeah, that's a lot, right? It's a lot. Jesus is, he's not really putting it, like you can't come to, you know, 489. That's the, got one more to go and it's over. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, we're talking about never, ever giving up. Here's what's got to happen. And this is what happens. This happens to all of us. You listen to this? And then I'm going to pray. What happens is that we get angry. We even get bitter. We even allow unforgiveness to grow in our hearts. And here's what happens. We get a bad attitude. It's amazing when you change your attitude. Suddenly that thing that your spouse does that just drives you crazy, you want to kill him or her. It's usually the other way around. Oftentimes all it takes is a simple attitude change. We start to see him the way that God sees him. Or better yet, how God sees you. You think of how often you've asked God to forgive you of your sins. Would you say it's gone past 490 times? (laughs) Thank you, Ray. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, yeah. So if God can forgive you that many times, don't you think you can forgive that person in your life? And many, many more times besides. Folks, this is what it means to be a Christian. John says, I'm going to teach you in this letter how to love so that your joy may be filled. Complete, full. So that's what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks. Learning how to love each other so that we can get our joy back. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you today for giving us your word. Your word is life. Your word is light to us. God, we have been called to walk in the light as you are in the light. And God, that means that we need to to love one another so that we may enjoy that fellowship with you and with each other. God, this really is what it means to be a Christian. And God, we want to just ask your forgiveness this morning. We want to ask you to forgive us, Lord, for holding a grudge, for having a bad attitude towards certain people. And God, we don't, we don't want to be one of those people, one of the statistics that left. We don't want to be a statistic, God. We want to be a success story. We want to bring glory to your name. We want to exalt you by loving all the people in our life. So God, we're asking now that by your spirit, because we can't do it on our own, we're asking that by your spirit you would change my attitude. Would you say that with me? God, change my attitude. One more time. Yes, God, you've heard our prayer this morning. And now we want to go from this place as real lovers, as people who have met with God and who are prepared to obey whatever God says. And we pray that in your name. And everyone said it with me? Tell the person beside you, I love you.